Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Uh, Keith, there's not many times you get to say this. Like, it's a big day. It is. I'm, I'm very excited. I think the, the most exciting thing is I, I think that we're bringing on someone here on the podcast who might be able to finally challenge Nate's dominance as the best golfer in the office, um, though he'll deny it. Uh, Sill is uh, apparently a very good golfer, though he, he says he hasn't played in four years. Yeah, I also saw when he wrote his bio that he used to be a good golfer, which is always the mark of somebody that actually is a good golfer. Uh, I think you fall a little bit in that category too, Keith. I mean, yeah, but I'm, I'm not just good now. Always a bad golfer, and that's yeah. fine. But you're you're a pretty good golfer. There's flecks of greatness in there when you play. Well, the way I like to describe it is physically, I'm about a three or four handicap, and mentally, I'm about a forty handicap. So that's where you know my my game, uh, you know kind of poses problems there. But uh, we're really excited to have uh, Sylvain Michelin, or as we, uh, you've Americanized it like Pony was, so Michelin, right? Uh, uh, welcome welcome to the podcast. How do you feel about this uh, yoke of, of uh, needing to be a good golfer being put upon you? It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. I used to be a somewhat competitive golfer as a kid, but I haven't played competitively in And, uh, you know, for people that are getting to know you, your your childhood was not here in the United States. You did not learn on Glenway's golf course like I I did. I I did not. I did not. So uh, I grew up in France. And so I did play in the French National Championship when I was, you know, maybe 11 years old. And just to put it into context, so France is not a big golf country, right? So uh, it would probably compare to like a state championship here in the U.S., but, uh, you know, none, none of us are good enough to compete for the uh, state of Wisconsin championship as is. So uh, we're looking forward to, you know, you, you bringing Nate down a peg, I yeah. think, really. He's a real hack. He's like a six. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. So, we're, we, you know, we're going to have to get you practicing and, and I'll caddy for you and, and so on and so forth. But uh, your, your work experience is kind of taking you all over the the globe you grew up in france right mm-hmm. and uh but you came to the united states for college is that right yeah that's right and uh so then you moved back to europe after college and correct yeah and moved around a little bit mm-hmm. and one of the things so you're joining the international team here at walkner condon and uh one of the things that's that's good for us is that if i get hit by a bus we have some people with uh additional expertise not that i'm planning on getting hit by a bus but it's nice to let people know that you know we have people that have a lot of knowledge and one of the things i think that your you know career path has shown you is the difficulties for people emigrating to the United States in terms of their investments and mm-hmm. pensions and so on that they've accumulated abroad. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, whenever you relocate to a new country, uh, there are issues to consider. You know, there's always assets that are sticky and that are going to be left behind, and you need to be very careful considering the the implications, the tax implications, the investment implications of those uh, those different assets. And when's the the best time to start thinking about this if you're if you're moving? Oh dear, as early as possible. I mean, you know, it, it's probably a little too late already if it's <laughs> if you're starting to worry about it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I mean, planning ahead is huge uh, when you're dealing with international matters. So. 
And can you give me uh, maybe, you know, as, as broad as possible without kind of disclosing the, you know, the exact nature of some of the situations you've seen and dealt with for your clients and mm. as they move to the United States and some of the particular things that people should yeah. be aware of? Yeah. So, I mean, typically uh, anything involving pension accounts. So that's a typical scenario where you have to be very careful. Um, and also anything involving just investments that are fundamentally not suitable for a U.S. tax resident, right? So uh, your old portfolio that you had back in Europe when you were not a U.S. taxable person, uh, you probably don't want to move to the U.S. with those investments because uh, in all likelihood they will be taxed punitively uh, here in the U.S. So we help clients navigate all of that. And with pensions, in a lot of cases, if it's an employer pension, you should be okay, right? Well, it's case by case. Most, in, most of the time you should be okay, uh, in many cases, uh, the pension will also be covered under the terms of a treaty, for example. Um, so, so that might work out okay. You just need to be aware of some of the potential issues. Uh, with taxable investments, it can become even more complicated. Because um, one of the big issues that, that people moving to the United States not, may not be aware of is our passive foreign income uh, Yep company regime, mm-hmm. and, and basically all European pooled investment products are considered PFIX? I mean, pretty much. So PFIX, you know, the it's this funny rule where the IRS just hates any sort of pooled foreign uh, investment company. So anything that is a pooled investment fund that invests passively in other underlying investments and is not incorporated in the United States is probably bad news for you. And it's probably something you want to get rid of before moving to the U.S. Because those end up being taxed at a very high rate. And, yeah. I and mean, not only are they taxed punitively, but just the compliance associated with it, just the reporting is an absolute nightmare. Um, this actually, Clint, uh, came about in the late 70s and 80s um, because uh, basically rich Americans, if you had interest-bearing investments, uh, a good idea was to hold them in an offshore company to basically lower your tax burden because if interest, as you know, is taxed at your income ta- tax rate in the United States. So this ended up being the, the kind of rule. And, and I think what we've seen over time, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Sil, is that uh, some of these rules that were designed to uh, defend the U.S. tax code from uh, Americans who are resident here in the United States, uh, abusing it or taking mm-hmm. advantage of it, have actually become uh, punitive for people moving here from abroad or living abroad, right? That's absolutely right. I mean, all the rules, they were meant to catch people here in the U.S. trying to evade taxes. So it would be like a California resident uh, keeping assets offshore, and, uh, you know, the problem is it, it's created issues for expats and for people who just relocate to the United States. So they were not the intended target, but it's just collateral damage, really. And for people uh, who move to the United States, in addition to how their investments are, are, you know, invested, are there things they need to consider in terms of estate taxes and so on and so forth longer term? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, estate planning uh, is always a big topic, um, you know. Review your basic estate planning documents, you know, your will, powers of attorney, healthcare proxy, all of that needs to be updated. Um, and then there are tax issues, right? You need to ask yourself, uh, how am I moving to the United States? Am I, am I intending to stay in the United States long term? Am I going to be subject to U.S. estate tax? Um, 
And will it be considered a, uh, a domicile of the U.S. as far as the state taxes are concerned? And, um, you know, depending on the scenario, um, that may or may not be the case. So uh, all, all that stuff needs to be reviewed thoroughly. And so a lot of your background comes in, uh, much like mine, in working with people of, of French origin or, or people in France, um, but you also work with uh, clients in Switzerland, elsewhere. What, where do, do most of your clients you know, come yeah, from? Yeah, so I mean, you know, over the course of my career, I've worked with clients really all over the world. Um, you know, I, I worked in, in Swiss private banking for a number of years, so I worked in Geneva, uh, working with clients really in Europe, but also in emerging markets, uh, including and also uh, Americans in Switzerland. And uh, then I worked in London, uh, again, a lot of variety in, in the client base, a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of uh, uh, finance executives, private equity, hedge fund people. And uh, more recently, I focused uh, uh, on working with expats mainly. So a lot of, a lot of US expats, mainly in Europe. Um, so, you know, France, Switzerland, Germany, um, but also all, all over the world, really. Uh, some clients in Australia, some clients in Asia. So um, really expat uh, broadly uh, across a number of different, different continents. But I would say, yes, yeah, Switzerland, uh, France, the UK are, are countries that I know well because of my background and because I, I've lived there. So uh, those would be my main countries. Did now in moving to the U.S. was there anything investing wise in in your personal life that you had to clean up or take care of or think you know, about? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Not a not a huge amount because uh, my my financial life is pretty simple. Um, but you know, to this day, I still file uh, FBAR, which is the form you have to file to disclose a foreign account for my uh, my pension fund in the U.K. Right, so uh, I've often told clients that because of my background, I can really relate to uh, to everything that they're they're experiencing as a U.S. expat, and uh, and it's true. You know, to this day, I still uh, I still have to deal with the complexities of uh, of uh, dealing with uh, with having assets abroad and things of that nature. And so, uh, one of the things that I think is very impressive that uh, some people might not know about is that you're a CFA. And can you just explain what that process all entails? Because a lot of people have heard CFP, which is Certified Financial Planner. And you know you study and you take a, a test for that, obviously. But the CFA is a little bit different animal. So if you could just explain that a little bit. Yeah. So the CFA, uh, CFA stands for Chartered Financial Analyst. Uh, and it is, uh, much like the CFP, it's a self-study program. And it consists of, uh, of three uh, uh, separate exams. So uh, for most people, it's going to take about three years, roughly, to, uh, to complete it. Uh, you know, if you're very dedicated, you can do a bit, a bit faster than that. But on average, it's a multi-year process. Uh, they estimate that it takes about 300 hours of study to, uh, to pass the tests, uh, you know, I studied a bit more than that because I just needed to. <laughs> uh, but uh, but the, the CFA compared to the CFP uh, is, is very investment-centric, right? So when I started in private banking, what I was most curious and most interested about was investments, really. I started as an associate, so working alongside private bankers, and I was just fascinated by investments and, and markets and all of that. And I told myself, okay, this is what I want to focus on, and I want to learn everything. And so the CFA is, is kind of the gold standard uh, in the investment profession. A lot of uh, equity analysts and portfolio managers 
have that designation. So I, I, I decided that you know this is what I want to what I want to aim for, and I, I started studying and got really into it and. Just, uh, just spent hundreds of hours just uh, learning about investments, learning about securities analysis, uh, accounting, portfolio management, um, and just a huge investment in time. But it was, uh, it was worth it, definitely worth it in the end. And um, you know, if you uh, if you ask me to do it all over again now, I'll probably th- I'd probably think <laughs> twice because I don't know that I want to spend five hundred hours uh, studying investments again. But at the time, it made a lot of sense. It was exciting, and I'm glad I did it. Well, speaking from Walkner Condon's perspective, I would say that uh, we're very happy to have ACFA on staff now, and uh, you know I think we're going to see Sill. Uh, is going to become an integral part of our investment committee, and he will, will be driving a lot of the portfolio management decisions. And so, to have somebody with his expertise, uh, you know, to be able to join the team, we're just ecstatic about that. Just because uh, we haven't had that before, we have uh, CFPs on staff. Mitch will hopefully be a CFP shortly, uh, and we we are very fortunate to have that. But to have the CFA is uh, really game changing for us. So we're very satisfied to have somebody on staff like that. And related to you know the CFA, how does that uh, affect uh, some of the decisions you make for your clients and analyses you do for your clients? I think about things you know um, in terms of currency management, long-term investment strategy, so on and so forth. How does that you know affect what you do for your clients having that background? Well, you know, I think the benefit of having the CFA is really that I've I've pretty much looked at and and studied and understood i mean just about every type of investment strategies and 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 approaches uh out there and um you know in many ways you might think that that would lead me to try to add complexity to a lot of the uh a lot of what i do in my in my investment um, um recommendations but actually that's that's not the case. I would say in many ways, um, it's also about knowing what matters for our clients and what's suitable for our clients. And uh, in some ways, especially when you work with expats, uh, simplicity is also very valuable. And, and it's really just taking this experience and filtering out what doesn't matter, what isn't really adding value for clients, and getting them to focus on what's really important. And I think having that very broad perspective uh, actually helps me do that. I think in a lot of cases, you know, what you end up finding is these sort of more exotic investments. One, they charge more, and two, uh, in a lot of cases, they don't travel well. Uh, if if you right. you know go outside of the United States, just from a paperwork, you know sense there's just yeah. a lot of of filing and and compliance issues related to that. Even if they're uh, still tax efficient in the country where you're where you're going. Absolutely. Um, the the other, I think that w- the point you made uh, from a simplifying uh, perspective and in your own experience as well. Um, you know, there's so much that you uh, that people might not know as an expat in the United States that you have to keep up with. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, don't. You know, they think of things like getting a driver's license or something like that is as a very easy thing. And that's one of the things that struck me about, you know, moving to France was just getting, you know, the paperwork done was almost a, a full-time job. And so I think that knowledge that you're there to simplify their investing lives is, is very helpful. Absolutely. Clint, did, did you have any other questions for Syl? 
Uh, yeah, I do. Um, you know, because you've traveled so much, I just want to know what is your favorite cuisine? Oh dear. <laughs> uh, okay. I have to say, I mean, I, I, I think some of the best food uh, is still to be found in France, even after I've traveled so much. Um, and, and the reason for that is, I think, just the, the, the tradition that they have, especially when you venture outside of Paris and uh, go to some of the little villages and little towns. Uh, I, I think you find amazing recipes and, and, and foods that, you know, have been around for, for generations and centuries and are, are done like nowhere, nowhere else. So I, I do still like French food. Um, but you know, I, am a food lover. I'm, I'm, I'm open to new experiences and I've had great meals, you know, everywhere, uh, even in the UK. <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with a full English breakfast, I suppose. Uh, very, in a lot of ways, kind of similar to Wisconsin cuisine. A lot, you know, a lot of uh, meats and uh, and starches. Yeah. I think uh, in, in its way. That's a that's a tough question there, Clint. That's right. I know. Hard hitting. Yeah. Hard hitting as yeah, always. As always. <laughs> but uh, I think we're really excited, still to to have you on board. Uh, you know, you and I have worked together, and and. Clint, I think one of your guiding mantras for Walkner Conan is anytime you get a chance to hire uh, smart people, you should. And I think uh, with Syl, we're, we're adding another exceptionally smart person as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I always, you're, you're kind of rounding that out nicely for me. I always say, you know, hire people that are smarter than, than me. And yeah, that's, I mean, maybe well, that, that bar is fairly low, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but no, we're super happy to have uh, Syl on board and we appreciate I mean, just getting to know him in the short time uh, that we have, uh, I think we have somebody that's going to do what's in the best interest of our clients. He's incredibly talented. So, uh, you know, we look forward to everyone meeting him as, as far as uh, virtually or in person. And uh, yeah, we look forward to a long, illustrious career at Walkner Condon. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Give Me Some Truth. And you'll be hearing a lot more from Syl later. You got this is our attempt at a short, plain English disclosure. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Conan Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. All matters that we discuss during the show are for informational purposes only. Look, we weren't attorneys. We aren't tax accountants. Um, if you want to rely on that sort of advice, go to your CPA, go to your estate planning attorney, uh, go to that trusted investment professional. If you're looking at global financial advice, sit down, meet with an advisor, Consider your whole financial situation and then decide whether or not that fits your own situation. We all know that past performance is not indicative of future results. We know that any sort of performance that we talk about, any sort of charts, graphs, anything else that we bring up should not be relied on to be, first of all, uh, reliable because there could be some error in it and then also applicable to your own personal situation. So please take a step back before you listen to something and act on it and consider your own personal situation and meet with a professional where applicable. Uh, review your own investor objectives, risk tolerance, your time horizon, and we all know that all investing involves risk and possible loss of capital. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Give Me Some Truth, and we hope that you can join us on a future episode.